welcome to A Slice of Orange, a podcast on North Orange County politics. I'm Jody Balma, professor of political science at Fullerton College. And my guest today is Jay Chen, uh, who has, has many hats, and I'll introduce you in a, a little bit. But one of the reasons I wanted to introduce you to him is because he's running for uh, the 39th district, or whatever it will be called after redistricting is done, uh, the seat currently held by Young Kim. So, Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jody. It's great to be here. And um, yeah, thank you for doing this uh, this for your students and giving community members a chance to, to interact with them. Yeah, and uh, you were a, a guest speaker for my class a long time ago when you ran against Ed Royce for, for Congress in 2012. And I was so impressed with the campaign you ran. Um, one of the reasons is because it was hard to find a young person in high school or college that wasn't working on your campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved the energy you brought and clearly the demographics at the time and clearly, uh, you know, there were a number of factors that didn't make that successful. Um, but, but why did you choose to uh, uh, run again this time? Yeah. So, you know, 2012, uh, I ran for Congress. And as you mentioned, we, we had a lot of energy, you had a, a lot of young people who were involved. And even though we didn't win, I feel like we won in other ways. So many of the people who are staffers on that campaign, that was their first campaign ever. Yeah. They've gone on uh, to continue their political careers. Sam Liu is now, he was my campaign manager. Now he works for Ben Allen as a deputy chief of staff. Mm -hmm. Patrick Manley works for Governor Newsom, you know, Calvin Sung is running various uh, initiatives and propositions. So uh, yeah, I feel like the lesson there was just because you don't actually win the ultimate prize doesn't mean you didn't make a difference and things can happen. Things can change because you ran and definitely Absolutely. had voice Absolutely. more attention. Yeah. And, and I think that that campaign really did make people in North Orange County believe it was possible. Right. Yeah. And and in the past we hadn't seen strong candidates. It, it was just a, a you know a giveaway, right? It was almost an a non-competitive seat because the Democrats didn't put up a great candidate. And and your biography, which we'll talk about in a second, is so strong. Your involvement in the community is so strong. And I think that really did get a lot of people thinking, oh, we could win this seat. Right. And that led to the 2018 success of mm -hmm. Gil Cisneros winning. But right. you had been recruited. I, I know I was one of the people who was begging you to run early on. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people wanted you to run and, and you did. Uh, and then decided for the good of the party, you and Phil Janowitz, both candidates, mm -hmm. decided to step aside. Um, how hard was that choice? That was a very, very hard choice. It was it was tough. My wife disagreed with me. A lot of my Karen, who um, I love, yeah, yeah, and she's she is my sounding board. She's got fantastic political sense, and she disagreed. Uh, you know, I had a lot of consultants and and friends who who disagreed, thought I should plow through. But you know, I always I always recognize that those who are closest to you, they believe in you, right? And they always want you know they they may see things in you that you know other people don't, and they could have been right. But my take was, you know, I looked at the numbers, I looked at the possibility that, you know, no Democrat could make it through. And, you know, I saw Gil's strengths. I 
I knew who he was, you know, he served in the military. He did great things with his lottery winnings, um, you know, a positive force for good. And I thought it doesn't have to be me. You know, the, the point is to get a Democrat elected that represents this district and it didn't have to be me. And so, you know, I made that decision. Um, and I'm glad because, you know, Gil won and I found another way to serve. I deployed to the Middle East. If I had won that election, I probably would have had to drop out of the Navy. Okay. And that would have been a lot of years invested that really didn't go anywhere. So I'm yeah. glad that I had that opportunity to, to step aside, deploy and serve in another way. Yeah. And, and talk a little bit about that, because I think, um, you know, you, you were a Navy officer, lieutenant commander, am I correct, in the mm-hmm. Navy? Uh, and and were deployed to to Kuwait. Yes. And so mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, I was. So this was for Operation Inherent Resolve, the campaign against ISIS, mm-hmm. and I studied up a lot on that. You know, I've I've disagreed with a lot of the military decisions that our country has made in the past. You know, the invasion of Iraq, I think, really set our country back tremendously, gave other countries an opportunity to leap ahead, tremendous waste of treasure and blood. Uh, but this was a a battle. This was a campaign I could really get behind. I studied up a lot on ISIS and and the terrible things that they've been doing and and continue to do. And it was a coalition of 70 countries. You know, it fluctuates, but it's a lot of countries who are all united to fight ISIS. And uh, we really saw the ability of America to, uh, to unite and to lead in this campaign. No other country has the resources to do this. And I'm glad that I saw that. I I saw how other countries looked up to us Mm -hmm. and needed us to lead. And um, yeah, and I saw how just the military operates and, and um, the Im- tremendous amount of resources that we put into these, uh, yeah, these missions. So very yeah. eye-opening. And an interesting time to be abroad with, with, you know, with a whole coalition, not just international, but, but Americans from all over the country at, at a time when... I'm sorry, let me... We can edit that out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, a really interesting time in our history to, to, to be with people from all different walks of life, all different places in America and other countries. Um, and so what do you think, uh, what perspective do you think maybe has changed as a result of that deployment? So um, I really saw how we relied upon our partners. Uh, you know, so we have the Five Eye partners and they all happen to be former British colonies, right? Uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, you know, Great Britain. And so so there is still this, this old school bias towards those traditional allies, even if they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily bring um, the most to the table, right? right? They don't. And so, you know, that's something that we probably have to look at, you know, why is it that these are the countries that we trust the most when we could expand that? And, and um, yeah, expand our, our circle of trust, basically. There were a lot of other countries that were there that wanted to participate, but because they're not part of that inner sanctum, they just didn't have access to our systems. And so they're limited in what they can do. And for them, right. that's also very frustrating. Um, but the the one thing that was really interesting was how each country kind of brought different specialties to the field. Like the Italians were really good at training. Like their special operations were really great. So they were, they were training uh, the Iraqis. And then, you know, Singapore was there and they were providing... Um, you know, equipment, you know, they weren't out there training, but they were doing what they could. So their specialty was like certain kinds of equipment and uh, different countries brought different things to the table and they all were able to to work together, you know, really, really well. So it was really cool to see that happening, this true multinational coalition. Right, right. 
And we hear so little about ISIS now mm-hmm. in the news. Um, what is the status? So ISIS has definitely been decimated. Um, you know, we when I was there within the first two weeks, we took out Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who was the founder of ISIS. So that was right. a big deal. And I thought, wow, is this mission going to end sooner than I thought? But, um, you know, there are still a lot of uh, cells out there that right. are, you know, they, they know where the vulnerabilities are. And they there's a lot of disenchantment with the current um, Iraqi government. You know, there were the, the prime minister had to step down and there's been a lot of riots in the streets. And so ISIS is able to take advantage of that and they're able to lurk in the shadows. So they're not completely eliminated, but I think we've done a really good job of, of you know, crushing, you know, crushing the leaders, taking away the right. caliphate, but right. there's still going to be an ongoing presence. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and, and it, you know, I know you have small kids, it's tough to be away and yet so important. And, and I think it's a real understanding of the sacrifices that our, our military really makes for these yeah. efforts. So. And for me, it was just one year. There are people who do this right. active duty all the time. Yes. And yes. I can't imagine the toll that takes on their family. Yeah. So let's talk about where, where you have been elected and where you have served. You started on the school board, which is often a, 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 a you know, kind of entry uh, office for people, um, the Hacienda La Puente School Board, and are now currently serving on the Mount Sac Board of Trustees. So tell me a little bit about what you've learned um, from that experience of, of campaigning, of being on the boards, of what you might encourage other people who are thinking about uh, these k- kind of elections. Yeah, so I joined, I ran for the school board for the district I graduated from because when I was in high school, I I was mentored by school board members. I I worked on campaigns and I saw the impact that a good school board member and involved school board member could have. You know, they said, hey, why don't you, Jay, I think you can do more. I think you should start this program. I think you should lead this club. And having a school board member say that to you can really validate you. And Absolutely. Push you so, and, and how did you first get involved in even running? So many people don't even know, you know, anyone who's running. How did you get so involved as a young person in campaign? When I first started, I didn't get support from the establishment. Uh, my very first campaign, you know, the teachers union didn't support me. A lot of people said, you're too young. But uh, I was able to just walk and knock on doors. And, yeah. you know, for local campaigns, you're able to do that. That's why people start local. It's a smaller district, less people you have to reach out to. And so I just put together, you know, I, I really love data. I'm a data person. I purchased data from the county, yeah. cut my voter list, decided who the high propensity voters were, uh, created a, a walk sheet and pamphlets and just knocked on doors. Yeah. And you'll find that a lot of people, that's how they start. And they're very, very successful. Absolutely. Just mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. And so then you run for uh, Mount Sac. And and what has that experience been like? What have you learned as a school board member and as a a trustee? Yeah, so there's a really big difference. Um, I feel like people who run for school, a lot of people run for school board because everyone has, I mean, not everyone, but most people have been through the public school system and they feel like they have something that they can add. They, They can have a say, they have an opinion about it, but not everyone has gone through the community college system. So, um, I think you'll find that on the community college boards, there's a lot of longevity. People are there for quite a while. Uh, when I joined the board, there were people like three or four trustees who'd been there for 20 years plus. 
And on the school board, you see a little bit more turnover. Yeah. Um, the other thing you'll notice is that school board meetings, you'll have a lot of really passionate parents coming. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, very, very passionate, sometimes very heated. Um, college trustee level, you don't see that as much because, you know, the, the students are all adults, so they can speak for themselves. But when you have your kids involved, parents can be very, very uh, passionate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I've noticed at, at the, at the school board, there's community members will attend because there's some decision being made. Parents Mm -hmm. will attend Um, at the community college board meetings in in my district. It's almost always the insiders, right? It's the faculty coming. It's the, the athletes coming because some decision is being made about the stadium. And and I'm like, are there any community members? Yeah. But they don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a huge area. Right. Uh, that it covers, that it's harder to to really engage. So, right. So briefly, and then I want to transition to uh, to twenty twenty two. But briefly, tell me the um, the successes uh, that you've had on uh, each of those boards and any failures that you learned from. Sure. So for the school board, um, uh, one of the things that I did when I arrived was I pushed for school gardens. And, you know, a lot of our, our schools took up that cause and started school gardens. I think they're, they're still there to this day. Uh, I decided that, you know, we needed to provide free SAT classes. Mm, One of the, yeah. you know, the SAT is not an IQ test. If you practice it, you can do yes. better. And as long as it's still being used by colleges, we have to, we have to cover that base as public schools, right? Not everyone can afford prep. So right. we, we provided that, um, we also brought culinary arts programs to the school district. I went to culinary school. Nice. And everyone needs to eat. That's right. never going to go away. So right. whether you want to work in the hospitality industry or learn to cook better for yourself, mm-hmm. that's something that you can do through the school district. Um, so those are a few of the wins. Yeah. Um, you know, there were there were difficult times, definitely, on the school board. We were uh, trying to bring in this program to teach Mandarin to our students. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the books and resources were provided by, um, you know, a Chinese entity. Sure. Uh, and that just like really pissed people off. Right. And right. even if we had full control over it. So yeah. it devolved, it got kind of racist. Uh, we yeah. got through it. And, uh, you know, we, we still are teaching, you know, Mandarin, uh, dual language Mandarin at the elementary school level. So that continues. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting what pops up that you might not am- anticipate and think, oh, oh, yeah. we're still that racist. Yes. We're exactly. still, that, still that fearful. Yeah. We're still that homophobic. Oh, okay. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. It's still out there. Yeah. 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 So for Mount Sac, we recently passed a, a very large bond measure to help rebuild uh, our campus. You know, Mount Sac's been around for a long time, Yeah, but we have really dated facilities. So we're embarking on a, a large reconstruction effort right now. And the pandemic has, you know, uh, ironically helped because we have no students on campus. Right. Construction, construction costs is so much easier. It's yeah. It's so much easier. You're not trying to avoid students and you can work right. you know, all hours. Right. So that's been great. Yeah. There's a, at, at Fullerton college, uh, there, there's a building that went up near me and it, they were just starting construction when mm-hmm. we shut down and the pound, 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 as I was lecturing, I was like, Oh, keep going, keep yeah. going. Yeah. H- have this done by the time I get back. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah. So yeah, there, there are some silver linings in this awful, terrible pandemic. Yes. 
So speaking of that, um, how do you campaign during a pandemic? Um, how we're doing right now online. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, when I ran, ran in 2012, it was very, it was very hands-on. We went, we knocked on doors. Um, you know, there was, there was social media, there was Facebook, uh, and there was Twitter, but it wasn't as big as it is today. Right. Today, you also have to worry about all those other different channels like WeChat. Right? Yes. And as we've learned, there's a lot of disinformation now being pushed through social right. media. Before right. it was all about mail. You'd get these attack pieces, but now they can hit you over, you know, YouTube. Right. Uh, right. And when stuff goes through something like WeChat, there's there's no filters. Right. None whatsoever. Like Facebook, Twitter, they could put a tag on it, perhaps. Right. That you can't. And with a large Asian American population here, you know, I found that a lot of people in this last cycle in 2018, they were repeating things about, I mean, in 2020, they were repeating things that uh, I was, I was shocked by people who don't really pay attention to politics were now saying, Oh, is it really true that Joe Biden is in bed with China? I was like, what? Where are you right. Going? Right. Yeah. So that was, it's very disturbing. And I don't think we've got a handle on that yet. I definitely agree that we do not have a handle on it. And, and, and clearly, it's, it's difficult to parse with the First Amendment mm-hmm. um, and, and private entities. You know, I, I know that there were so many debates over whether or not, uh, you know, th- these third-party tech companies should have the power, but mm-hmm. we're in a whole new world. And often, legislation can't keep up with technology. And, right. you know, clearly, one of the reasons we need people who understand technology in Congress is because of that. Right. You know, I show the clip of the Senate, uh, uh, you know, asking questions of the the head of Google and, and Facebook, and, and it's just clear that they have no idea right. what kind of questions they're even asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of YouTube, and, and I think I've shared this before on, on the podcast, um, Young Kim had a really, really robust digital campaign. Yeah. Um, so much so that my dinner conversations with my kids were often hearing the, um, you know, the, the, the taglines of the anti Gil Cisneros ads. And um, so it's a whole new way to campaign. And often uh, it, it's hard to keep track of where everyone is campaigning and what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So I, it's very early, but you know, how, how do you start to strategize and plan for a digital campaign? Yeah, so um, a lot of that is about building our subscriber base, right? Making sure that people see us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Young Kim's done a, a really good job of building up her her subscriber base. I think there's like she has twenty five thousand likes on her Facebook page, and that just makes it easy when she puts something out sure. for more people to see it. You have to understand the algorithms, right? And yeah. What will Twitter and what will Facebook promote? And it's it's all about engagement, right? So, right. Uh, if you put something out there that people interact with, then Facebook will push it out even further. Right. Now, you know, her her likes are actually dropping. She's she's getting a lot of flack from her base for some of her decisions that she's made. So you know she's got her challenges as well. But right. you know, for us, it's just building up our online presence, which um, you know she's had four years to do it because right. well, it, I mean really longer than that because she served in the assembly. So we we have a little bit of catching up to do. Sure. But I think, you know it's it's doable. Sure. And. Uh, you know, at least right now, you are the declared candidate 
I haven't heard of anyone else declaring, and that could obviously change. But if it was a matchup between you and Young Kim, it would be a, an Asian American and an Asian American. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how do you think that ends up? Because we don't have the same, um, you know, kind of prediction of. Asian American voters vote for Republicans or Asian American voters vote for Democrats in the same way. And so talk a little bit about that as a matchup. Yeah. So Asian American voters are notoriously nonpartisan, like the Chinese voters in this district. uh, They are, I think in California, really, you can speak for that. um, 50% of them are declined to state. Mm -hmm. So in 25% Democrat, 25% Republican, they will swing either way. And I think um, in this last cycle, you'll see that a lot of them, you know, they, they backed Gill in 18 Asian Americans, but in 20, for whatever reason, and, and there are a lot of reasons, um, they decided to split their vote between Joe Biden and they chose Young Kim. Interesting. So I think, yeah. you know, with my candidacy, we would be able to win a lot of those voters back. Um, right. When I ran in 2012, right. uh, Pomona College professor did a study and said that I had won 95% of the Chinese vote. Wow. With Chinese wow. voters being the plurality of the Asian American right. vote, I think right. we've got a good chance to. And I, uh, I got the mailers from uh, the independent expenditures backed clearly, you know, backing Ed Royce in 2012 that were so racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, that that was horrifying uh-huh. to get and to see. Um, and again, I was saying like it's 2012. Right. Um. And and we're already seeing that uh, with with the attacks on Joe Biden and the attacks on some of his cabinet members, you know, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz of mm-hmm. of talking about the communist China connection and and these sorts of things. And yeah, and I think that we don't call it off out enough. Right. Yeah. So. And I think it's it's surprising to me that some of these Republicans still. Uh, recoil at being called a racist because they so obviously are that you'd think they just embrace it at this point. And when, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they are telling, you know, when the, the leader of the party is telling proud boys to stand by, right. Right. That this could happen in this day and age is just astounding. Right. No right. And, and, and it's interesting. I'm teaching a, a book and, and it tells the story of, of uh, some Democrats going to dinner with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton in 2008, and these black women uh, powerhouses in the Democratic Party asked Barack Obama, "What about the race strategy? You know, how are you going to combat racism?" And he said in 2008, "You know, I really think we're past that." Um, and and to read that now is just sort of shocking and naivete and and right. idealism that that mm-hmm. we were past that, which clearly he faced head on um, right. as president, but. Right. Um, yeah, is that mitigated when when you have a Korean American and a Chinese American in the race? Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, I think she will be. I think both of us, being of Asian descent, you know, me, the child of immigrants, her, an immigrant herself, will probably be a lot more cognizant of those types of attacks, and we're not mm-hmm. we'll probably not go there. But I can't speak for the IEs, right? Um, and you know, really, I can't speak for her, and 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 you know, she has a base. She has a base that responds to that. Her right. base right now is angry at her because she voted uh, to expel Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, yeah. from committees because of anti-Semitic, you know, right. uh, mass shooting denial and and just yeah. know, conspiracy theories. 
which right. I'll give her credit for was the right thing to do, but you know, right. Although I, you know, I'm fascinated and I kind of want to, you know, have drinks with the, 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 the Republicans to get them to, to tell the truth of, of the lack of crossover mm-hmm. among those who voted for impeachment in the house. Right. 11 Republicans vote for impeachment and then 10 Republicans vote to expel her from committees, but only three are, are the same. Right. And so, yes, I give her absolute credit mm-hmm. for that, but why didn't she also stand up? Mm-hmm. Because you're, I, on some level, I think you're going to take the same amount of heat. Yeah. People are going to be just as mad at you. And, right. and somebody like Liz Cheney, who voted for impeachment, did, but didn't vote to expel, Young Kim doesn't vote for impeachment, but votes to expel. And I feel like, I, I don't think anybody's going to give you credit for that split. No. It's like you're dipping your toes into accountability and then, you know, taking right. those right out just to see right. how far you can go. And um, and unfortunately, from the political strategy, almost no gain from those on the left who respect the vote and asked for the vote as constituents, but they're unlikely to donate and unlikely to vote for her. No. I mean, what they're asking for is just to act like a decent Congress member. Right. She's not really asking her to do anything above and beyond uh, right. her role. It's just do the right thing. Yeah. It shouldn't have been a tough vote. Impeachment shouldn't have been a tough vote. Right. Uh, expelling uh, that Congress member, the QAnon Congress member, shouldn't have been a tough vote. Right. So I don't think we're going to, you know, extend her any kind of additional. It, it doesn't make me feel good going into the next two years. Mm-hmm that those were really tough votes and so few Republicans did. And the, the incredible heat that they're getting, the anger that they're getting um, from so many people. So I, right. I feel like Liz Cheney got that heat and she immediately rescinded and said, okay, I'll do what the Republicans want. Right. Um, and, and is really what it comes down to is choosing party over country. Right. And they chose this party and they have, uh, willingly fed into a lot of this in, misinformation. I mean, in 2018, Young Kim was accusing Gil Cisneros of voter fraud, which was completely right. untrue. Right. And even after she won her, uh, she accepted her victory in 2020, she was saying, oh, but we still don't know who won the presidency when Fox News had already called it. So right. she's been part of this issue. She's been feeding the lies. And, and so, yeah, it, it's a, just a fascinating political reality for Republicans. And, 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 you know, I've had Republicans on the show, I, I, I respect many of them. Uh, you know, Assemblyman Phil Chen is one of my really good friends. And, and, and I, and I believe he does the right thing. But I don't know where he goes in this party. I don't know where other Republicans and, and, you know, I have many students who are and I think they're at a crossroads of what do they want the Republican Party to be? And right. it's so far removed from what it was when so many joined, you know, Orange County, Reagan Republicans. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I just, you know, it's just something I'm watching to see um, what they do. Yeah. But, you know, they're, you reap what you sow. So they, they've... They, they've if they haven't spoken out about it, then they are complicit in condoning it, and yeah. they're just adding to the extremism within their party. So they they have tough decisions ahead of them. They do. Yeah. They do. 
So what is your campaign centered on? If, if you say, you know, absent any opponent, absent the Republican Party, what are the three things you want to do in Congress? Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to say what our world looks like in two years. Sure. But if I was in Congress right now, absolutely the number one thing would be dealing with COVID-19, making sure that our uh, teachers, our faculty, mm-hmm. you know, professors are vaccinated. That's from my school board you know, trustee background. Everyone wants our schools to reopen, but okay, why aren't you, you know, putting teachers at the front of the line so that they can reopen and they can start teaching students. So, you know, that's one component, getting getting needed funding to our uh, small businesses, uh, to the unemployed, so that um, the economy can keep going, can, can start humming, right? And so much money has been wasted in, in terms of the PPP. A lot of companies, corporations have gotten bailouts that really right. shouldn't have gotten it. Right. I feel like that money always should have been stimulus funds directly to the people instead right. of the businesses. Because if you cover the people, then the businesses don't have to worry about unemployment, about you know taking care of their employees because the government's done it. And, yeah. and I think that was a misalignment of priorities. So yeah. that's one thing. Um, infrastructure is another issue. Um, I'm really excited about Pete Buttigieg. And he, he said one of his priorities is high-speed rail for America. I know it's like a pipe dream. Right, but we have to push in that direction. If you've been to any country that has high-speed rail, you just realize how much more convenient it is. Right. Um, and I know that we we have that project in California, and it's gotten wildly expensive. But eventually, we're going to have to confront the fact that uh, you know high-speed rail is necessary. They have it in Europe. They have it in Asia. The yeah. fact that we don't have it is an issue. And then you know our own freeways, like the fifty-seven sixty interchange, is a disaster. Some really right. poorly planned. Uh, transit systems here that have to be yeah. addressed. Yeah. Yeah. And and California's high-speed rail is, you know, and I think so many examples of what not to do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe not pay consultants in the Central Valley to support it yeah. uh, and then end up with, you know, multiple stops along the way so that it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to make everybody unhappy the right. way that it's going. Um, so, but yeah, it's so many examples that are great of how high-speed rail has worked, um, and could really revolutionize, uh, a, a travel. So, yeah. So, uh, at the end of the show, I ask questions, uh, uh, to all of my guests. And so, um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? So, um, I'll give two pieces of advice. One, one, just in general, my dad told me that he got this advice from his boss and it was, you know, whenever something comes across your desk, deal with it once and, mm. and put it away. And it, it's it's a way to just say, like, you get a piece of paper, you address it at that point, and then you move on. And uh, I think that's a, a really good time management piece of advice that prevents you from pro- procrastinating. And so I've always kind of tried to live my life that way, um, yeah. not putting things off. Uh, the other piece of advice would be when before I deployed, someone said, roll with it. When you're on a deployment... You just need to roll with it. Things can happen. Yeah, you can't be wedded to your idea of what this deployment is going to be like and what you want to accomplish. And you'll be so much happier, and you'll be better for the mission if you take what comes and and adapt. Yeah, I think that's transferable to to life as well. Right. Great. Great advice for those of us who like to be in control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what's one book you like to recommend to people? Oh, so on my deployment, I actually got to read a lot of books. Um, so one book that I read recently that I really enjoyed um, was Nickel Boys. 
it yeah. won, I think it was a Pulitzer Prize winner, um, Colton Whitehead. Colson Whitehead, and it was his second. That was a really good book. Um, and then another book that I really enjoyed was, uh, it's an autobiography by, who's that, Trevor Noah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I never thought, well, it's a, it's a comedian who's writing about his life, but he talks about uh, life in apartheid South Africa growing right. up and the struggles that he went through and what his mother went through. And it was actually very poignant and, you know, yeah. ending really packed a punch. I was like, I was surprised that a comedian could, could bring, you know, so much into the, Yeah. It, it, there, there, there was a, a level of, of depth and, and really contemplation about what that experience has done. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. So uh, a hopeful message for our listeners. A hopeful message is that, you know, we just went through four pretty terrible years. Um, and this last year, 2020 was particularly bad, but our systems held, you know, we had a challenge to our democracy. We had an attack on our capital, but at the end of the day, as close as it was, there were enough people in the, in the right places to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it very easily could have gone another direction. It, all you needed was one, uh, individual who could have been pressured at one of these States who was right. a registrar of recorder or, or, you know, election official who could have allowed things to escalate and we could be in a much worse position. So a lot of people got elevated to notoriety during this election cycle mm -hmm. that you never would have expected. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, being in, being a civil servant matters. Yeah. Uh, being involved in politics matters. Yeah. And we need to encourage people to, to respect those fields and to pursue them as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I, the, one of the, the heroes were all those registrar <clears throat> voters who, you know, came out and said, I voted for Trump. I wanted him to win. And that is not what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah. And, and I'm sure there were consequences for those people. So yeah, I really respect them. So um, who should we talk to next? Who's in your neck of the woods in politics uh, that, that maybe we haven't heard of? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you interviewed Andrew Rodriguez. Has he ever been on your show? I haven't yet. No. Yeah. So Andrew actually, I mean, he's an example. He, he was part of my campaign back in 2012. Yeah. And then he got elected to the city council for Walnut. And then he ran for yeah. assembly. He wasn't successful, but we know that, you know, he, he'll be at it again at some point. And yeah, um, yeah I think it's, he's he someone that your really students great. will relate to because of. Yeah. And, and, and he got a lot of young people involved. I, I, you know, that was one thing that I really watched his campaign and in even the challenges of running for assembly during a pandemic, are, you know, are right. immense, but so yeah. if somebody wants to get involved in your campaign, yeah. How do they do it? Yeah. So where um, do they donate? Where do they go? How do they sign up? How do they engage with your social media to help with your algorithms? Yes. So we're at for Twitter at JF Chen, uh, letter J, letter F Chen. And then um, our website is chenforcongress.com. Okay. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash chenforcongress. Okay. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, send an email to info at chenforcongress.com. Right. One thing that can really help. I mean, obviously donations help $5, $10, all of that helps to, to build up our, our numbers, um, engaging with my social media to boost it, post it, share it with mm -hmm. their circles. Uh, that is immensely helpful. 
Right. And then as we get closer to the election, there will be more volunteer opportunities, you know, phone banking, you know, virtual phone banking, things like that. And uh, the, the sooner they get involved, uh, the sooner they'll get used to the process and we can provide greater opportunities for volunteers. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. So thank you. And uh, I really appreciated talking to you. Yeah. Thank you, Jody, for this opportunity.